Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If you've ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it looks like it's moving slow and you think maybe you could get across the tracks before the train comes. Think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270. Stop. Trains can't. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Here we go, another episode of the Move the Sticks podcast, ready to roll with Bucky Brooks. I am Rhett Lewis in for Daniel Jeremiah, and here we go. Uh, got a fun uh, fun episode today, Buck, because uh, we're going to get to talk to our buddy Bruce Feldman, among other things. Look, man, Bruce is really plugged into all things college, uh, not only just the collegiate level. He knows what's going on at the high school level, yep. guys that are coming into stuff. So it would be great to get his thoughts on what – the college landscape is. And another number one quarterback heading to the defending national champion Clemson Tigers. So uh, So unbelievable that yeah. Clemson is able to kind of take in right? everybody, these recruiting classes. I, I can only tell you, Rhett, like I, I, witnessing the transformation of Clemson, like having played against them in their heyday uh, when Danny Ford was there uh-huh. and they were known for running the ball and the option, and they've always been kind of built on their defense, to now see Clemson – really known for the offensive talent that they're collecting and producing to me is one of the uh, minor miracles. Yeah. Uh, also five-star running back to Marcus Bowman heading over there as well. I mean, we'll get into all that with Bruce and uh, we'll also hit on uh, some other college stuff and, and then also have our uh, breakout players under the age of 25. Ooh. But look, let's get started here because the uh, fifth-year options have come and gone now in the NFL. And Mm -hmm. so um, we kind of get to formulate our thoughts on that. And uh, look, as expected, you know, you get Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joey Bosa, Zeke Elliott. Um, Maybe there was a little intrigue on the Jalen Ramsey thing, but that ended up getting picked up. He's too good a player and all that. So most of the top 10, in fact, all of the top 10 uh, picks that year, except for Jack Conklin, who did not have his option picked up by the Tennessee Titans, and Eli Apple. That was kind of a weird situation. Mm-hmm. Traded from New York to New Orleans. Uh, ended up playing 
pretty well, pretty for well for New Orleans, but they yes. decided to not pick it up. So, um, but the Jack Conklin one is is really interesting to me because it's kind of all tied into the Jared Goff trade. Yes. Remember, it was the Tennessee Titans that started out number one that year. They traded back to fifteen with the Rams, and then traded back up from fifteen to eight to get Conklin. So, I mean. You took a lot of that haul that you not a lot. You took a, a, a couple of pieces did. of that haul from the golf trade to move back up into the top ten to get Conklin, who was a really good player as a rookie, and now he's kind of dealt with some injuries and I, you know maybe just haven't quite gotten the consistency there that they're wanting to feel right. comfortable yeah. about an injury guarantee in the fifth year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think really it's the, it's the injury more so than anything else because when available, he has been a solid player. He was a solid player coming out of Michigan State, uh, plugged right in, uh, contributed to a team that has gone to the playoffs um, and has been a solid starter, but the injuries. And I think yeah. at this point what you're doing when you're thinking about the fifth-year option, you're trying to uh, minimize your risk when you're the team. And so if he plays well, I would fully expect him to, to give Sign him, him up. a competitive offer mm. uh, before he hits the – the free agent market, but it's one of those things where when you're building the team, you're trying to kind of weigh the pros and cons, especially when you have the looming contract of Marcus Mariota potentially hanging out there. Yeah. Um, Is it coming? Yeah. I mean, so, so that's the thing they have to prepare <laughs> in case he plays at a level where they have to write a big check to number eight. And right. so you just want to keep your options open so you can make good decisions at the end of the year. And look, let's just, you know, keep in mind here that, Right tackles are getting paid in the NFL right now. Oh, big money. You know what I mean? So, like, so th- you know, this is a situation where I think they'd probably love to pay him. You know, they'd probably love to be able to do that and to say that we've got this guy covered for the next five years. But, um, you know, maybe if you're willing to risk it, you get him at, at a at slightly less of a price. Now. No, I think, I think, I think that's some, something that they definitely yeah. have to consider. It's one of those things that I think they've had to have internal discussions about how do we want to go about this because right. the the uncertainty about the quarterback clouds the evaluation because you don't know how I have to kind of earmark my money. That's the biggest to build point. My I think team. you're right. I think you're right. That the the Mariota deal plays a, a ton um, into that. Uh, look, Laramie Tunsil um, had his option picked up. Carl Joseph was another one, but I think Mike Mayak's come out and said they'd love to keep. Carl around right now, but you know you draft Jonathan Abram and uh, I mean you got to see all, how it plays out. You have to see how it plays out, and, and yeah. like just the in and out, uh, he's kind of yo-yoed in and out of the lineup and, right. and stuff like that. So you're trying to see is he really a Gruden guy or is this something that they'll move on from? But um, you know it's tough because when you have regime changes, uh, it changes everything, especially at general manager because it changes the grading skill, it changes what you look for, it changes how you work together. And so they had a regime change and a coach change. Right. And so it right. changes everything. So one coaching staff prefers to have guys that play a certain way or build a certain way. Other coaching staffs uh, look for something that may be completely opposite. And so. Unfortunately, Carl Joseph has kind of been caught in that transition, and we'll see if he can kind of carve out a little role for himself in this this new Raider team. I don't think it was any surprise. Uh, Shaq Lawson, Darren Lee. I mean, Darren Lee's no, been getting traded for a while. Yeah, those guys haven't necessarily lived up to expectation when it comes to their production matching their draft status and where they came into the league. And so you make those hard decisions going into it. I think the bigger thing is, how do they play now that they know that they're kind of it's on contract a year. deal? Yeah, yeah, contract year, right? Um, Darren Lee finished out the last pick of the top twenty back in the twenty sixteen draft. Now, look, we can we can group this next group of players together because this was a uh, this was a big receiver draft in the first round. Mm. Uh, Corey Coleman was the first uh, to the Cleveland Browns Ooh. at fifteen overall. 
remember this was again part of the Carson Wentz trade. They traded down uh, from two to fifteen or two to he yeah, didn't two to make, fifteen. He didn't make it two years in Cleveland, right? He didn't, and didn't make it. I don't know what two months in Buffalo. No, he went to Buffalo first. So, but right? now now he's in New York. Now he's, and they and he, he got has, a tender. He got a tender. York. He has a has an opportunity for so uh, re- it, yeah, and that's not an option thing that. Once he got released and traded and all done. that, it's, it's all done. Yeah, so yes. there was no option to pick up there. But the next group of guys, thank goodness for Will Fuller, Ooh. right? Yeah. He got his picked up by the Texans. Then he had Josh Dotson uh, not picked up by the Redskins. And he had Laquan Treadwell not picked up by the Vikings. And uh, Man, like for they me, went back to back to back, remember? It was a run on receivers, 21, 22, 23. Uh, for me, a couple of... I mean, a few misses in the evaluation. Uh, Corey Coleman coming out of Baylor. Uh, DJ and I used to joke, guy ran four routes. Yeah. Ran the, Same thing the we talked about with DK Metcalf. Yeah, right? post, yeah. go, he ran a slant, and <laughs> a hitch. That, that's all he pretty much put on on, on tape. Josh Dyson and Laquan Treadwell, um, to me, they're kind of the cautionary tales on the big receiver. Mm. Uh, Josh Dyson was a guy that was a, a 50-50 ball specialist. I like the way that he played. I like the way that he consistently won balls uh, in tight areas. But in the league, you have to be able to separate unless you have extraordinary physical advantages, meaning you're strong, you have outstanding leaping ability, you have a a knack for being able to do it. DeAndre Hopkins is a guy who has always been able to win these 50-50 balls because he has extraordinary hand-eye coordination, has a basketball background where he kind of knows how to use his body. so, Josh, I, I missed on that. With Laquan, I think Laquan Treadwell is, is a case of we had heard his name for so long being a first-round pick. And I think we all, even as evaluators, can be prone to buying into think tank. And you kind of hear it, so you're kind of used to it, and on and on and on and on and on. And I would say it's kind of counter to what we heard with Cleveland Farrell. If we had heard Cleveland Farrell tagged to the Raiders or another top five or top ten team, when the Raiders took him, it wouldn't be a big surprise. Right. Whereas with Laquan, we had heard him in mocks and everything leading up. He's a top receiver. We yeah. watched college games. We were popping on. They talked about him being a top receiver. And I think we gave him a pass for never really running a great 40. He did finally run at his pro day. It wasn't exceptional. No. Um, and then not really showing extraordinary traits. Like what we, we would always go back and say, well, what is this blue trait? If you look at the film at Ole Miss – what is the one thing that separates him from others? Is he an exceptional runner after catch? He wasn't. Is he an exceptional route runner? They didn't really run a lot of routes in, in, at Ole Miss. Yeah. Is he a guy that was a physical freak that just bullied people? He wasn't that. So at some point, and it's a miss on my part, you have to be able to figure out how is this guy going to carve out a role, and he wasn't able to do it. And I think this is the draft that Michael Thomas was in. Uh, if I went to second round, that's I think sounds I think, about right. He's the second round pick. Yeah, yeah. So no wonder, yeah. he, no wonder he's mad at us. Yeah, <laughs> no question. <laughs> because no, we, no gave, question. we gave a lot of guys passes that we yeah. didn't give him, and um, it didn't work out. I will say to his credit, one, he played better than we thought he would play. Two, he went to a great system where Sean Payton has really used him in a terrific way, putting him inside, letting him be the big slot receiver, kind of taking over the Marcus Colston role. Well, yeah, he's done everything work. that we thought Laquan Treadwell was going to do. Yeah. You know, because they've used him in the slot with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen out on the outside never, It just well. never worked just, out. Yeah, has not has not worked. Now, keep in mind, still got a shot for it to work out, right? They're, these these guys that didn't get their options picked up are still on their teams. 
you know, they're not released. They're just, they just won't have a fifth year um, as part of their original rookie deal. And um, look, I'll just finish this up by just saying the bottom of the draft in that first round was not impressive. Josh Garnett, Robert Kimdichie, Vernon Butler, and Jermaine Effetti, you know, has played for the Seahawks, but he didn't get his option picked up. Okay, so think about what you just read. Yeah. That was how many years ago? Two, that was, three years uh, ago? Three years ago. Okay, so think about that. Yeah. And we're talking about the first rounders. Yeah. And then think about the discussions that we have on path to the draft leading right. up to it and how we focus not only on the first rounder, but, oh, second, third round, all these guys. What you're seeing is the reality of the National Football League. The first round <laughs> – is really difficult. Yeah. What Charlie talks about the Charlie Casserly talks about the success rate being at fifty percent in the 50. first round. Yeah, and so when we fret on teams that give up second round picks or third round picks and the like, it just it we worry about right. what's behind door number one. Right, and door number one normally doesn't work out anyway. So take good players, get good players. It is better to get something that you know than to kind of be uncertain. And I think the Mike Mayock draft will will serve that whole philosophy well. Well, if it works out for him, that, that'll be an interesting piece of the evaluation three years down the road from here. Talking about Kim Dietje and, and as a foreshadowing to our Bruce Feldman interview, keep in mind Kim Dietje was the number one overall recruit in high school. Number one overall. Right. And we expected him to be a dominant player. He showed flashes. But again, but he never did it consistently. Right, and right. we're talking about 15 sacks. We're not talking about any, you know, <laughs> one of those things. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. And we'll talk about it when, when yeah. we get to this uh, much hyped up 2020 quarterback class. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what the evaluation is when we get into the process, uh, January, February versus what the conversation is now. Because right now they all look like nice new shiny toys. Gosh, they're going to take over the league. You know what just hit I don't me? know. Um, it just hit me. Rashawn Gary was the number one recruit in high school, right? Mm-hmm. And we're kind of having that same discussion. Like he had those traits, didn't have that crazy production. And, and, that, we, and we, gave him, we gave him a pass. Yeah, pass. And so Robert Kimdichie was another one. And so yeah. um, a lot of it, and the challenge is as an evaluator to kind of scout what your blinders on and earplugs in. Yeah. Where you're doing it solely based on what you see on the tape and not what you, you, you're seeing on TV or what you're hearing. All right. So that's a, just a look at uh, kind of an interesting way to now start the evaluation as you look back on the 2016 draft. Um, rookie mini camps kind of already started. Uh, we got 11 of those that have already been uh, already gotten underway. We'll have a few more of those kind of going on this week and next weekend. Um, but I'm kind of interested, Bucky, to get through and get into our our top players under 25 Ooh. discussion here, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to pick an offensive and a defensive player that we feel like is going to break out as, uh, as kind of the up-and-comers of the league here under the age of 25. I'm going to give you a first go at your offensive player. Now. Okay, first go, I'm going to go to one of my former teams, and I am going to say that Matt LaFleur is going to help Aaron Jones, the running back from UTEP. Breakout! Wow, and breakout in like a major way. And the reason why I'm gonna say this: Look, he last season he had over 700 rushing yards, but he's never necessarily been utilized as a as a heavy workload guy. Uh, for as long as Mike McCarthy was there, they didn't necessarily lean heavily on the running game. I'm gonna say that changes a little bit with Matt Lafleur. I believe you're going to see more run and play action than we've ever seen from Green Bay. They're going to get back to kind of the nuts and bolts of their variation of the West Coast. And because LaFleur saw what the running game was able to do with Jared Goff, what it was able to do with Matt Ryan, I think that we're going to see 
the Green Bay Packers commit to running that outside zone scheme, mm. and it's going to allow Aaron Jones to be a very, very effective playmaker because defenses will still come into the game thinking we have to stop number 12, and they may concede some yards to Jones until he shows them that he can be a guy that can hurt them. I like that one. I like that one a lot. In fact, uh, he was a uh, a popular uh, fantasy pick fantasy. Of, of mine last year. Even though he had the two game suspension to start, I was like, I'm gonna stash this guy uh, just in just in case. And uh, he he clearly uh, seems to be the guy now in Green Bay. Look, I'm gonna go quarterback here. Um, and and this one's maybe a little obvious, but I feel like Sam Darnold is is prime for a breakout. Mm, okay, um, I want to give him uh, give him some a year with Adam Gase. I want to give him Le'Veon Bell. Um, I want to give him an improved offensive line and just see what happens uh, because I think we were all impressed with what he was able to do during his college career. Obviously, we, we thought he might be the number one overall pick, ends up going three to the Jets uh, behind Mayfield So in Barkley. So, you know, I just I, I feel like when healthy, Ryan Tannehill played well under Adam Gase, especially early on in Gase's tenure when they had a better roster around him. Uh, and I feel like Sam Darnold has more talent oh, with sure. the arm and just has it all put together a bit more uh, at this point as a quarterback than than uh, Tannehill did in his first year with Gase. So um, I'm excited to see what those two put together and and the Le'Veon Bell thing and the 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 ways that they can use him as a receiver. I think just just kind of fuels that breakout chatter for Darnold. No, look, he's, he's going to have every opportunity to do it. I, I, I think the big thing for Sam Darnold yeah. uh, will be how does he grow his game while they put more on him, meaning he hasn't played a lot of football. He hasn't played a lot of quarterback. This is a guy that didn't play uh, quarterback the entire time in high school due to injuries right. and another position, having another guy there. Then he goes to SC, has a remarkable, I would say, two-year run with the Trojans. Um show some things, but that last year at SC, um, I would say there was a bit of regression in his game in terms of the number of turnovers and the like, and we kind of excused it because we're saying, hey, he didn't have a lot around him, and then last year... We saw the regression last year yes. from week one where he was, cra- you know, it was like, yes. oh my gosh, against the Lions, it was, he's going to be amazing, and then... It comes yeah. back, so yeah. what I want from Sam Donald is a level of consistency because... Um, we can talk about him and we can talk about the Giants making the wrong pick or whatever, but at some point, Sam Donald has to show us a level of consistent play yeah. that kind of justifies him being uh, the second or third, the third pick in the draft. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you as well, and I don't think Adam Gase will allow anything less than consist, consistent quarterback play uh, if they want to keep that thing rolling. Okay, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. What you got? I'm going to go with Jabril Peppers for the New York Giants. Really good one. And the reason I'm going with him is because he was kind of thrown in the trade for Odell Beckham Jr. And we didn't really talk about him. We didn't talk about what the Giants got. We talked about the draft pick, and we talked about Odell going to Cleveland. But we really didn't talk about Jabril Peppers. Um, Now, it's funny because some of the people in Cleveland would tell you that Peppers would maybe be best suited to be a running back at that level based on how instinctive he is with the ball in his hands. However, they moved him to New York, and David Gettleman was very excited about Jabril Peppers. He made mention of Jabril Peppers uh, being a big part of why they wanted to make the deal. They think they can do some certain things with him. Then if you go and you look at uh, the defense coordinator, Betcher, and what James Betcher was able to do with the Honey Badger when he had him in Arizona, I think you can make um, 
a reasonable decision that, okay, maybe Jabril Peppers will be put in that hybrid role where he plays around the box and does a little bit of nickel, a little blitz, a little linebacker, not as much away from the ball and allow him to be the instinctive player that he has been. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, man. I, and I think that's certainly something the Giants were counting on. If you're going to be a part of that Odell Beckham trade, you better you, you better uh, up the game a little bit. And uh, it'd be fun to watch him as a breakout player, especially with Landon Collins out of that secondary as well there in uh, New York. Okay, I'm going to give you one uh, second-round pick a year ago, Harold Landry uh, from Boston College out with mm-hmm. the Tennessee Titans. So Harold played, I believe, in I want to say it was 15 games last year for the Titans, and uh, you know, I had less than five sacks. Um, but I, I saw. I mean, we, we talked about it, and you brought it up to me, which I thought was one of the best points uh, that we can make when talking about um, sack production from college to to the pro game. And you mm-hmm. know, you talked about how. That stuff, you you put up those numbers, it translates regardless, regardless of level. And he was one of those guys, Harold Landry was, especially his junior year at BC, that put up those numbers. He had four and a half a year ago. Now you get Cam Wake coming over to Tennessee. Yep. And if nothing can be a, hey, watch me, this is how it's done type of situation for Landry. And, you know, I love that Mike Vrabel, um, you know, is hands-on with those guys. And, and so I just, I feel like this this is a guy that has the talent um, and has the, the pedigree and the background uh, and has the coaching to break out as a player under 25 on the defense side of the ball. I, I liked him. I loved him a lot when he was coming out. Um, he had an injury marred uh, final season at Boston College, but leading into that season, I likened him to Von Miller in terms of his first step quickness, his ability to bend and burst. Yeah. Uh, he was a dominant player, um, you know, his junior season. And look, for whatever reason, it didn't work out his senior year. And so he's drafted in the second round, but he showed flashes last season of being a guy that could be a high-end right. pass rusher. Now you put him on the opposite side of someone that you have to account for, Cameron Wake. It means one-on-one opportunities for him. And with one-on-one opportunities, I think he consistently gets to the quarterback. I expect him to be a difference maker. Man, if they get something out of Jeffrey Simmons, too, depending on how healthy he's going to be, and you pair him up there with Jarrell Casey, and that's kind of an interesting front up there in uh, in Tennessee and want to be interested oh, in, for uh, sure. in, in, uh, in watching play here come 2019. Okay, uh, so that's uh, kind of a look at uh, the, the NFL landscape. Let's get to the college landscape. And joining the pod now, friend of the program, reporter for The Athletic, Bruce Feldman is here with us. Bruce, what's going on, my man? Welcome. Good, good morning, guys. Good to be on with you. Likewise, uh, look, we've had some fun uh, here in the uh, immediate aftermath of the draft and kind of logging back into what the college football landscape will look like for next year. And um, I I guess for Clemson, they're going to be feeling pretty good about uh, their signal caller for the next few years after we've seen uh, them get the commit from the top quarterback in the country in uh, DJ. Here we go. Uwe Ungalele. How about that? Did I, do, did I get it? it sounded, sounded Bruce, what do you think? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That was better than what I was doing until I was like <laughs> texting with his uncle and okay. went back and forth. He actually sent me like a, a phonetic video that, that helped. So, I mean, that, that we're going to have help. to know how to say that name. Yes. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. Yes. And, and look, I think I think this is really interesting. You know, give us a sense of, of how that process went uh, from your view, Bruce. You know, he's a big time baseball prospect, too. And he's a huge kid, as as uh, Bucky can attest. We both, I think, saw him. He was yes. a- out at the Elite 11 last year. And Bucky's seen him probably a bunch more than I have. 
Uh, and he looks like he could be a defensive end prospect. But St. John Bosco, you know, big time program. Everything I've heard from him is he, what really appealed to DJ uh, was Dabo Sweeney has not been shy about discussing how important his faith is in the program. And several other guys on that staff are very open about it. And that really resonated with him. I mean, look, this is a long way to go for Clemson to get a quarterback. Mm-hmm. More importantly, maybe it's a long way. You know, there's a lot of other schools you have to get over to go to, to, to get this kid. And uh, it came down to them and Oregon. And I, everything I had heard from the last couple of weeks was it was going to be Clemson. And Clemson is putting together a ridiculous recruiting class <laughs> that everyone thinks is going to be the number one class. And what's kind of amazing about that is if you look at the five classes previous to this year that uh, made up that, that national title team that blew out Alabama, they only averaged tw- uh, the ranking on 247 sports was 12. So it was like they were getting obviously big time guys. You see that in the draft. Sure. But it wasn't like they had number ones and number two ranked classes. This one is going to be a number one because they've gone national and they're getting some big, big time kids and there's more coming. You know, Bruce, and just thinking about how far Clemson has come, to think that they have gone from being a team that was led by Taj Boyd, who was a great quarterback, to potentially being. QBU. Yeah. Could you ever have fathomed that Clemson, the team that Danny Ford basically made into a power, is now known for developing and grooming and spitting out quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, look, this shows how much things change because a few years ago, people were talking about how the Big 12 and the bad defenses, and now we've had back to back number ones, and obviously Pat Mahomes is the Big 12. And I don't think it, I think the key here is it doesn't take very long. You know, like we're all older and we remember the 80s. A lot of these kids don't remember anything, uh, you know, from from more than five or six years ago. You know, to them, they don't remember Matt Leiner as a player <laughs> now. You know, they don't That's remember. Me. I mean, it's it's true. It's like they go back. They're going to remember Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, I think DJ, uh, the quarterback, his his favorite quarterback run up was Jeremiah Masoli. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, you right. know, so. Um, I think that's the perspective we get lost in it sometimes, especially in the media, but a lot of other, but these kids, what resonates with them can be very, very different. And Clemson is the it program right now. And the way they run it, it's upbeat. It's fun. They've been able to keep a lot of their assistants together, which when you have success, the way they had two of the last three national titles, that's not hard. That's not easy to do. And I mean, like, you know, we talk about the quarterbacks, obviously, and you know, it's an interesting situation for me after watching the whole transfer portal thing this year and, you know, seeing that Trevor Lawrence is going to be there for at least one year, probably while DJ is there. Right. Um, yeah. 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 He'll be there for for one year. He would have to redshirt or he's even if he redshirts, he's not a five year kid. I mean, he's going to, I mean, by all accounts, he's a three and out kind of guy. So even though there's a new redshirt rule from last year where you can, play four games. I mean, if you're really as good as some of these, uh, as this kid people think is going to be, he's not going to be around for five years anyway. No, I didn't think so either, but kids are even more impatient than that these days. I mean, you know, Justin Field left after a year of not really playing much at Georgia, right? And, yeah. and going to Ohio State. Tate Martell, what, never played at Ohio State, right? And he's yeah. already gone. Um, you know, so it's just kind of interesting to me to see a quarterback, you know, the top quarterback in the country, um, commit to a place where you know you, you are going to have to sit for a year most likely if trevor lawrence continues down this path right 
Yeah. Uh, my colleague at The Athletic, Max Olson, had a really good stat. I don't know if it's a good stat, but it's a telling stat. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the year, and we're, we're talking about all these transfer quarterbacks, 17 of the top 25 uh, ranked quarterbacks from, I think, four years ago have transferred. I mean, yeah. I don't know, what is that, 68%? That's a staggering number. And no a couple question. of those other seven who are there are either not starters or you know they're, they're guys who are playing other positions. Right. So. I mean, the, the, I don't say because it doesn't mean the 17 are busts. They just, you know, they found success in other places or maybe they didn't. But it speaks to what you're saying, right? About yeah. the, the impatience that we have now. And, and I'm not condemning it. I just think it's a reality. Hey, real, real, real quick, Buck, just on that, on that topic uh, about the transfer quarterbacks, I'd be curious to get your take, Buck. I mean, I mean uh, Bruce, is it, is it Justin Field? I mean, is, it, is that for sure the most intriguing quarterback in a new place for you? It is. I mean, I, I, I think Bucky could attest to this just yeah. from what we saw, especially when he was around the other top quarterbacks. I mean, as good as, as Trevor Lawrence looked, everybody I know who's in that quarterback space thought Justin Fields is even more talented. He was better. Right? And at, so he, at yes, the finals, sure. he was opening better. finals. He's yeah. better. He's better. And he's going to work with Ryan Day now. And Ryan Day has, as I don't want to say he's he's a star maker right now for sure, but I think he's in really good hands there. Quite honestly, I think he's in better hands at Ohio State for development than he might be right now in the situation at Georgia. You also have to keep in mind, yeah, they lost three really good productive receivers right. and real grown-ups at Ohio State and McLaurin and Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell. But they got a a uh, probably the best receiver in the country in last year's class, Garrett Wilson. He's already there at Ohio State, a Texas kid. Uh, Chris Olave is a guy they love. They have a bunch of really, really good receivers who are still there. Plus, they have a you know running game that you can lean on. I think Justin Fields is in an ideal situation. I'm not saying he's going to win the Heisman, definitely, right? But I think he's going to have a huge year. And people who look at the spring game and oh, his stats weren't that great or whatever, just be patient. I think he's coming. I think he's going to be a star. Bruce, we would have also accepted Jack Tuttle as the most <laughs> intriguing quarterback transfer. Okay, we would you have know, also accepted I think that. They, your alma mater has two other pretty talented quarterbacks. <laughs> I know you make. I mean, Michael Penix is really good. Yeah, and Peyton's been a great we, starter. Yeah, yeah, we did a Peyton Ramsey game last year. He was a good, yeah, good, uh, good player. So. You're right. You're right. Go ahead, Buck. Hey, so, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the recruiting landscape, and uh, I tweeted out earlier because someone was making a comment that it was kind of ridiculous that Mike Mayock uh, drafted a bunch of Alabama and Clemson guys, mm -hmm. and I was saying for years, NFL guys typically take players from the top teams, and I threw LSU in there because LSU has a nice pedigree of putting guys in the league, but you're saying that they've also have kind of changed their eye when it comes to the recruiting landscape. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so I was down there, spent a couple, uh, spent three days in, in Baton Rouge about a month ago. And one of the things that's different is Ogeron had, obviously, Ed Ogeron spent a lot of time at USC. And he has some connections from, from being around USC. And I think they looked at it, certainly, it's, an, it's not in, uh, not, not coincidental that USC is really struggling. Mm -hmm. And so people can come out to, to the West Coast right now, especially with the indecision around Clay Helton. And get some really good players, uh, and I think one of the things that they've done, they've seen is that they can go out in the DMV area around that Maryland, you know, DC, Virginia area where there's a lot of good players, and they have been doing very well there. They've done very well in, in California, and I think that message has played well. I mean, they just had their best year in I think six or seven mm -hmm. years at LSU, and I think one thing that you know, Bucky, what you were you were really saying is. 
the 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 work that they're getting in practice good against good i mean that is hard to that is hard to replicate in other places in terms of development and you see it with these lsu dbs especially but i think you're going to see it in other places on their roster now i mean they have some really talented big physical receivers and that place is really excited about joe brady who's their new passing game coordinator i mean they're going to change their offense significantly He's a Joe Moorhead guy from his time at Penn State and then spent the last couple of years learning under Sean Payton with the Saints. And I really think this will be a big year for them. I'm not saying they're going to topple Alabama, but the team I saw uh, was very, very impressive. And I think they have a real chance to be a top five team this year. Joe Burrow comes came over to LSU as a transfer. What's it going to take for LSU to recruit a quarterback? Well, they've got a couple of really good ones that they've committed for this year. One's Brad Johnson. Signed. When I say this yeah. year, I mean 2020. Sure. Um, it, I think the big thing for them is going to be getting the ball out of this out of his hands, getting it to playmakers, and right. being different. You know, what's crazy is uh, I did a story for The Athletic a, a couple of weeks ago about, about where LSU is right now. And if you look at back at their offense – statistically for yards per play, which is a metric a lot of people use, they've had, I think, three of the top 15, you know, in the last six or seven years. And you're like, how did that happen? That's surprising well, to me. A, yeah. It is to me too. But then all of a sudden you got, you had some great NFL receivers who were there, sure. you know, together with Mettenberger. And you had Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette and Jeremy Hill. You've had like ridiculous amount of talent. It's just, you look at the quarterback play, it's been subpar, and I think Joe Burrow is going to be a good college quarterback. They're optimistic about Miles Brennan, who's got a very good arm, right. and he's he's been there for a couple of years. He's finally put on about 20 pounds, so he looks more like a college quarterback and not a high school kid. But again, we've heard this before from LSU. We heard it, you know, they changed the offense two years ago with Matt Cannon. It actually got a little worse. Um, we heard it plenty of times under Les Miles, and it, you know, it they kept on shooting themselves in the foot or whatever would be bad clock management, whatever it was. Um, you know, they had, they had backslid really till last year. So we'll see if this is a real change or not. I mean, that's, I think I, I'll say this, the two most interesting, maybe uh, offensive hires this off season are both guys who learned under Joe Moorhead. One is Joe huh. Brady, who a lot of people don't know. The other one is at Michigan and that's and that's Josh Gaddis, who's the new OC there, who Harbaugh has given the keys to. I think both guys are going to be very fascinating because they have a chance to to wake up some really downtrodden offenses. That's really interesting. You know, Bruce. So I, I I can't I can't let you go without first because this is kind of the transition from top recruits to the NFL draft. Everyone is speculating about the 2020 quarterback class in the league, and if some of these guys. Tua and Jake from uh, Justin Herbert, these guys come out and they're in the draft. Can you just talk about what you've seen for those guys on the collegiate level? Because our listeners are just beginning to get familiar with who these guys are. And we're going to hear about them for the next 12 months being guys that the NFL is excited to see. Justin Herbert is a tight end size guy. We've done a bunch of his games, 6'6", 245, pretty athletic kid, accurate, Brilliant kid off the field, 4-0 student in a, in a real heavy major. We also did his bowl game against Michigan State, and they scored one touchdown. I mean, sometimes the, the product on the field, quite honestly, has been pretty underwhelming. Now, they had one receiver there last year, Dylan Mitchell. He was their go-to guy. After that, they had nothing. He does have a really good offensive line. 
you know, we need to see it on the field a lot more from him. Whenever I heard first pick in the draft, when people were speculating that, I wasn't, you know, I don't think it was, I was a little uh, suspect on that. He's talented and he's smart. But again, I think we got to see more of the product on the field. This is a kid who didn't play that much in high school. And he also didn't play at the highest level. He's a Eugene kid, Eugene, Oregon kid. So it wasn't like he was playing in a football hotbed. Right. Uh, I'm interested to see. He's talented, but. You know, I, I think we got to see him take a big step forward. I'm a big believer in Tua. I just think he's got so much juice in that arm. He sees it well. He's really aggressive. Now, he doesn't have great, you know, height, but that doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. I, plus, he's got some stud receivers. I mean, his his three or four receivers, are the that's the best, oh, no you know, foursome yeah. in, the, in the country. The one I'm a little surprised I've heard, and again, take it with a grain of salt, you know, it, this time of year, with that 2020 stuff, mark me down as somebody skeptical of jo- if uh, Jake Fromm is going to be a top 10 pick next year. I am, I'm not buying that one. Uh, he's a really good college quarterback. Yep. I wonder if he is Aaron Murray again mm-hmm. uh, there, which is not a knock. I mean, Aaron Murray had a great college career, and he was impressive in the AAF. But I, I could see Jake Fromm, you know, being an NFL quarterback. I just don't think when the NFL people end up evaluating him, whether it's next year or the year after, I'm skeptical that they're going to look at and see that's a top 10 pick. I think there's going to be some skepticism of the juice in his arm. I think people are going to look at it and say, well, you know what? They had a great running game. They leaned on this and they leaned on that. Uh, you know, I know he's playing against really good competition and he put up really good numbers this year, this past year, but I'm again just in just from what i've seen from him and from everything i've heard i don't know if i buy that he's going to be a top 10 pick or anywhere near that again and we'll see what happens he's cha- you know yeah. uh the offensive coordinator jim cheney who's who was had drew Brees at purdue and been around some really good quarterbacks he's moved on he's at tennessee now and james coley takes over uh so we'll see how it goes in year three but that's the one i'm probably most skeptical of at this point uh, i love it and uh you'll get to critique i think bucky's got his first mock draft coming out tomorrow <laughs> so uh we'll see we'll see if he puts jake in the top 10 all right <laughs> bruce i'm looking forward uh, uh bruce has got a great article right now out on the athletic on the top 25 uh, coaches in college football go ahead and check that out uh bruce thanks so much for spending some time with us today we really appreciate it my pleasure thank you guys uh, great to have Bruce a part of the program. And, and look, we didn't get to get into that uh, top 25 best coaches in college football, uh, which I think is a pretty cool, pretty cool exercise. And it's got to be tough to not just make that a preseason top 25 poll. Um, but Bruce kind of dug in a little bit. And look, I'm going to I'm going to get right to the top here before we uh, we get off this topic. He's got Nick Saban, number one, mm-hmm. Dabo Sweeney, number two. Mm. Which, you know, I certainly an argument for that, right? I mean, uh, and, and I think it, the argument that Bruce makes is interesting. The first line out of the gate on Nick Saban, he's the best coach in college football history. Bucky. Uh, I would Bucky, say, I would, man. But is he the best coach in college football right now? No, Dabo Sweeney right now is the best coach in college football based on everything that Clemson has been able to do based on Clemson being able to knock off Alabama uh, a couple of times when we say that Alabama is kind of like the uh, undisputed champion of all things college yes. football. Uh, when you go to the way he has been killing it on the recruiting trail and the players that they're bringing in, the players that they are uh, developing and producing to the pros, it is hard to put anyone ahead of Dabo Swinney based on how hot Clemson has been of late. 
Yeah, it's look, it's a it's an interesting argument. Um, you know, it's it, what happens if Clemson wins another national title this year? Ooh. You know, like are 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 we talking about a true changing of the guard? I think we had that conversation after the national championship game this year. But look, I think that's uh, that's really interesting. I was trying to get Bruce to get uh, get your boy Mac on this list, but he, uh, he just yeah, decided he, yeah, not you to. Know, he, he didn't he didn't put Coach Brown on there, but that's okay. that's fine. Like we'll just how did Scott Frost get on there? I mean, they won. They, what did they win? Four games at Nebraska last that, year. He was very, 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 <laughs> very friendly. Very friendly to Scott Frost and some of those other guys. Uh, I, I don't know how many of these guys on this list have won national titles. Well, right, games, right. But, like Mac Brown. Oh, yeah. You I mean, know what I mean? But that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Get there. You know, he even had Jim Harbaugh listed at number 11. Never beat Ohio State. Never has never Ohio beat Ohio State. State. Doesn't, not to I mean, say that that couldn't happen. Uh, well, let's, that, that's an interesting point. You bring up Harbaugh, Michigan. Boy, they do these trips, man. I mean, it's insane. I remember uh, following the what Marty Smith followed uh, them when they went on that first one to Italy. I remember talking to um, my buddy um, <clears throat> John O'Corn, uh, oh, who was yeah. a quarterback at Michigan mm-hmm. for a while, transferred from uh, Houston, and um, he was just he could not stop raving about the commitment that that school has made to that program and that that allows them that opportunity to do the things, um, these trips that they take. And they recently visited the prison where Nelson Mandela was held. I unbelievable. Mean, like, this right? is unbelievable experiences, you know, for, I mean, you know, kids who might not have this opportunity the rest of their lives. I mean, this is so, uh, so cool. So I definitely, uh, thinking back to my college career, uh, cannot think of a parallel experience. You don't have anything that was cool. <laughs> I mean, we went no. to a Colts preseason game. Once. Nothing, nothing that was cool. Um, no, man. What, did you guys do anything like? Oh, my, my, my coolest experience in college. We came out to California and we played in the Pigskin Classic at Disneyland. And what is that, flag football? No, nah, we played. We, we played. We played Willie McGinnis, USC's Trojans, what? in the Pigskin Classic at uh, the old Ram Stadium. So Anaheim, the Anaheim Stadium. We played them there. And we whooped them. Wow. We whooped them. UNC going west and whooping oh, them. Beat them. Beat them up. Does it, Willie know that? Oh, he knows. It was 31-7, 38-7. Oh. We only threw six passes. What time of year was this? Uh, it was 94. It was the beginning of the game. It was the first game oh, of the season. It was the season. first game of the season. Okay. First game first of the game season. season. Jason Seahorn. Yeah. Oh, see. Jason Seahorn played corner. Love that. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, no, we beat I, him up. We beat I, him up. Um, so that was my coolest experience. We didn't do anything else. We didn't have any yeah. other. <laughs> no outside uh, of football. No. <laughs> uh, transcendent type of experiences, unfortunately, uh, me either. But, uh, well, look, man, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, fun little episode of the Move the Sticks podcast. Remember, you can catch all your Move the Sticks content, uh, nfl.com slash MTS. Go to YouTube. We're all there. Search it. Uh, download it on your Apple podcast or wherever you listen. Download, subscribe, leave a review. And we'll see you next time, right? Yep, let's do it. All right, man. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.